950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Isaiah, Minnesota is a multiracial statewide nonpartisan coalition of faith communities fighting for racial and economic justice in Minnesota. Joining us right now is Brian Fullman. He's a lead organizer and barbershop and black congregation cooperative. Uh, in his, that's his specialty there. He's kind enough to join us today to talk about some of the, the positives we've had in regards to voting rights here in Minnesota in this last legislative cycle. Brian, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you, Matt. My absolute pleasure. First of all, why don't you take some time and explain to everyone out there a little bit better than I did exactly what is Isaiah, Minnesota? Yeah, so Isaiah is a nonprofit organization. It's a faith-based nonprofit organization, and our theory of change is grassroots organizing. So we want to make sure that we are filling in the disparity gaps and inequities that a lot of us in the state of Minnesota are faced with day to day. So we do that by building out relationships within the communities. And then we all leverage those relationships with each other in the political arena to get better policy to fit the equities, to fit the inequities that we see every day in the community. So we do that across statewide. We are everything from churches, mocks, barbershops, child care centers, small businesses, you name it, uh, we organize. But our bread and butter is the congregations. And so since the origin of Isaiah, we have organized churches uh, across the state of Minnesota for 20-plus years. God bless on that. So, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting here is that, you know, I mean, uh, having followed politics for many years, you know, it's kind of like you're laying tile in the bathroom. There's always these cracks and gaps that are there, and they have existed, exist, and frankly, they've existed for the minority communities uh, and the lesser represented communities on a much larger scale here. Has Isaiah had a lot of success being able to fill in those gaps considering they are wide and pretty persistent? We have been very successful in organizing and filling in those gaps. I think the uh, the democracy work that we're doing is a perfect example of that. Uh, I, you know, I first want to say, though, uh, that it was so many people who organized around making sure that all of our voices are being heard, whether you have been formerly incarcerated or not. They've been doing this work for 20 years, but we have always stood in the gap. Uh, uh, when you're talking about the, 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 the struggles and the inequities and oppression that a lot of our minority communities are faced with. So, uh, again, restore the vote of early voter registration are some of the ways that we've done some real structural change uh, to, to, to kind of close and fill in that gap. I, I do want to ask a little bit about your specialty here because you're a lead organizer focusing on barbershops and black congregations. It's interesting how Isaiah has broken down this outreach program because it really has gotten into the 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 heart of the the communities that are misrepresented or underrepresented, I should say. And 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 you know, I imagine for you, it's it's a great way for you to get into these these organizations that might not have that say and give them that say through through the barbershops and the black congregations. Yes. So it's a platform. I was a barber for 18 years and I understood that uh, a lot of the uh, how should I put it? a lot of the freedom that people would feel while they were in the barbershop. They felt a sense of safety. Uh, they was able to imagine what was possible for them inside of the barbershops amount, amongst their own peers uh, and, and community. But I would also notice when people would leave those barbershops, they would kind of back like hunker back down, almost, you can almost see how the demeanors would change. Like, okay, it's time to go back to business. It's time to go back to work and keep my head down. So I knew it was a very, very important and powerful platform to begin organizing from. When I got hired in Isaiah, and I volunteered for three years with Isaiah before I got hired, they were already organizing 
you know, black churches, white churches, uh, Latino brothers and sisters, congregations. So that was already in the fix. What I wanted to do was actually add some flavor and a constituency-based uh, program to Isaiah. And the one thing about us as Isaiah, and the reason why we've had so many breakthroughs, is that we get space to learn. We get space to make mistakes. It's embraced. Uh, and we learn. So it's just a different culture around you know, a right to learning and a right to make mistakes with a lot of our brothers and sisters who've been disenfranchised. Don't get it. They don't. That's not how they look at making mistakes. It's, it's usually punitive when they make mistakes. So it's a different kind of culture in Isaiah that actually gives me as the organizer the confidence to go out and take risks and find out what are some things that people need. And it actually allows me now to pass those teachings on to brothers and sisters who are in those barbershops so they can start to imagine themselves. Uh, at the center of the community and leading in the community in a positive and productive way. So, and it was interesting because earlier this week, I, I got a chance to talk with uh, the uh, the NA um, uh, CDI about Native American voting, the, the, the restoring of voting rights for felons in the state of Minnesota. And one of the things which it became very clear as I was having this conversation is this was a way by by restricting this that people that might have gone to jail, served their time, been released, preventing them from being able to vote was a way for people to manipulate the voting cycle, particularly to discriminate against minority populations and prevent them from voting mass, considering the unfair level of incarceration for minority populations. And, and this, you know, when you're talking about 55,000 people just got that back their right to vote, I mean, that really was a substantial part of that was the minority communities who were, frankly, underrepresented when it comes to the ballot box. Yes. And so, uh, yes, so it's both. Uh, so, it, look, it's true that there's disproportionate numbers when it comes to the minority communities in the state of Minnesota who are incarcerated. But a lot of that 55,000, too, are people who live and reside in greater Minnesota. Uh, a lot of my white brothers and sisters are part of that group. What's really important, though, is that this state has made a declaration that all of us need to be included. That, you know, nobody, when you've done your time, when you get out of jail, if we're saying that you are now welcome to society, then we need to act in what we're saying. The number two thing, the reason why it's so impactful, too, is that it actually you can look at there's been some studies in other states around recidivism when mm -hmm. people yeah. are civically engaged and they're part of like constructive community leadership it actually brings down the percentage of recidivism people start to see society as their own and they're ready to own it the third thing that's really important it kind of dismantles the misinformation that's out there there's a lot of brothers and sisters such as me Matt, who made some mistakes early in my life was incarcerated and i thought for the next 10 years that i wasn't able to vote because of this mistake and it wasn't until I actually moved up to Minnesota to understand that I could have been voted 10 years ago. So it's just, it was a very, very impactful uh, structural change. And on top of that, when you talk about 16, 17 years old, being, being able to, you know, register to vote, how do you actually get them in the practice of utilizing their voices in society? It's just, you know, it's transformative. So, yes. Absolutely. And when you when we look at the 55,000 are now re, get, re, have got their voting rights back again, I'm going to presume that a 
stunning amount of them because of this, that civic ability to engage in the process, that there is going to be a pretty large turnout with that group when it comes to elections. Because as you said, I think when you engage, when you, when, you know, people make mistakes, but when they are welcomed back in within the community and they're allowed to be part of the community and have a say in the community, that's, that's, that's the path to, to complete recovery on that, right? Absolutely. I mean, your, your imagination starts to soar. If you get out of jail, you've done your time, and you are working, you're a productive citizen, but you still can't utilize your voice. And a lot of our brothers and sisters that are in jail are very informed politically. So, so when you get out, you mean to tell me I can't utilize my voice, then how can they actually see society as their own? It's kind of hard. It's, 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 it's a contradiction. So this actually allows people to think about, like, man, what can I do now as, as I can utilize my voice? I've, had, I've got my own set of experiences that I actually want to express. There's some things I want to speak up for. There's some things I want my neighbors to know about my experience and then see if they actually share the same experiences and if they want to go and build partnerships with legislators or people who represent them and their interests. All of these different things start to hatch out when people, when society says you are included and we value you and we see you and we're going to encourage you to use your voice. So it's always a productive thing and I'm just so appreciative to be part of that process on the other one of the other major issues with voting the the pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds you talk about building up enthusiasm about this you know i i've got i've got generation zers at my house and they are all you know chomping at the bit to vote you know now that two of them can the third one's going to be already wanting can't wait for their time to do so having the pre-registration to vote so the 16 and 17 year olds will be already registered to vote in the state of minnesota that's another great way to a make sure everyone's representative but as b build up that excitement about you're going to be able to participate in the process yes look the youth are our future we've heard this in songs we've heard people say this forever it is true And the one thing we have to do is invest in our youth. And another thing we have to do is make it very legible that we value our youth. And what better practice to actually start enrolling our youth in and to actually submitting a vote in their interest using their voices. It is critical. And when I'm thinking about it, too, I'm not just thinking, I'm thinking about all of our children. But I am also, too, very passionate about children who've been told they don't have a voice. Children who have been taught through narrative and messaging that their voices just don't matter because their community is disenfranchised. So they don't even, I didn't have a political imagination until I was almost 40 years old. So this is another step. It's not the answer to all of these inequities and disparities, but it is a nice, it's a very solid step towards letting you know we care about you, we see you, we value you, and we know you are the future leaders. So you know what? It's time to get into rhythm. Make sure you register. Make sure you're voting. And then then start practicing and getting the sophomores and freshmen ready to be able to take the same practice. That's how you build a multiracial, thriving democracy in the state of Minnesota and ultimately the country. Brian Fullman joining us from Isaiah, talking about the the, the restoring of voting rights and encouraging more voting in this country. Let's also just, if I can, for you, looking at the slate of things that got passed, which was truly remarkable. The DFL really kind of delivered on a lot of levels uh, in this spring here. What are one or two, two of the other ones that you just say to yourself, you know, this is going to, it, it, this is going to do a lot of good across the state of Minnesota. Oh man. Paid family medically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yep. Right. If you're working hard, 
You should have some security as somebody who works every day. You deserve that. It's actually your right to. So that was very transformative. And I can actually connect that to just people who are voting. We want stability for people. We want people to understand when you get sick, when you have bereavement, when you need to take care of your family, we got you. We're going to make sure that you're financially stable to be able to take care of yourself and your family. That says a lot as the state of Minnesota. And I also think like the, 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 the bills that we passed around climate. Like this is really important. Making sure that we have somewhere for our kids. I have a grandchild. I just had a grandchild two years ago. And, and I'm looking at this, this boy and I'm saying, man, we have to leave this world in a better place. And if we do not start activating ourselves around that, it won't be a better place. But because these bills have, have passed in the state of Minnesota, it's not just good for Minnesota. It's an example to the rest of the country. That progressive movement is here. We're thinking about everybody who lives in the state of Minnesota, and we're going to deliver on that. So those are two bills that I thought were really transformative and opens up more for imagination about what we can do, you know, moving down the line with these bills already passing into law. Then on the other side of that, let's talk about one thing that you want that hasn't been addressed yet that you say, you know what, you guys need to get this done. Uh, I think we've done a lot around criminal justice reform, yeah. but I want to see some departments that are really established and developed to actually start to concentrate on gun violence. That really specifically are concentrating on gun violence, uh, so we can we we have to dismantle this kind of activity. But I think it's again it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take the department that has the the funding and the resources to be able to start addressing this issue. And it's showing up in different ways, in, in geographically throughout the state. And so I think if we can, I, I, there was some traction around it, but we got some more work to do moving forward around the gun violence that is happening across the state and making sure that we have a clear department that can oversee uh, the activities and operations and, uh, you know, dismantling that kind of activity. That's what I want to see. And I have been one of the people that have said that I I really want – I think that the people that are selling the guns illegally, if you all of a sudden put out some harsher penalties for those people that are the ones that are buying them, generally buying them in outstate, rural parts of the state, and then bringing them in and, and selling them in the cities where they're, they're being used for these violent activities. If you started putting much more harsher penalties on the people who are supplying the guns, I guarantee you're going to start drying up the supply real fast. That's right. And I believe there's already been some movement around that from attorney. General uh, Keith Ellison has already started to have some traction around that, but yep. you're absolutely right. How do we stop it from just pouring into our communities and our neighborhoods? And at the same time, how are we educating our communities about guns and the responsibility you got to have when it comes to guns, right? Like, how can you do, how can we have uh, conflict resolution where it doesn't have to go to the extremities of like using your gun? So there's a lot of different organizing paths and strategies and layers that we have to unpack when it comes to this kind of issue. But you're absolutely right. One of the major steps that has to happen is the flooding of these weapons in our community, you know, just constantly, consistently over the years. So we can catch them, we can catch these wholesalers and the way they're setting up these gun shops, (laughs) these, these kind of gun shows, I'm sorry, these gun shows, if we can actually start to, like, slow down that activity, that takes a big chunk of the issue away from us. Yeah, People are making money off gun violence, and that is, that's, that's where right. they, you have to make that stop. Brian Fullman, lead organizer with Barbershops Black Congregations over at Isaiah. Brian, anytime you want to come back, my friend, you are yeah. more than welcome back on my show. This is fantastic. Well, I appreciate you, and I definitely want to come back, so we'll set it up.
All right. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Brian Fullman with Isaiah, kind enough to join us today. We'll take a break. I'm going to unpack one or two things he said when I come back. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Vacuum cleaners. You buy them, you break them, and then you throw them away, right? Well, if you're ready to break out of that vicious cycle, we have the answer. Ever heard of A1 Vacuum? 